Well, this morning, as part of our Clean Slate series, I'd like to spend some time talking with you about forgiveness. I'd love to spend time talking with you about what forgiveness is as well as what forgiveness is not. Before I really go on, I'm deeply indebted. I should reference a book that I'm deeply indebted to, and that is the book um, Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. I have recommended that in years past to individuals. It's been a time where I made it a recommended church read during our time of prayer and fasting, which comes in January. I've handed it out to individuals who've gone through um, hard times, betrayal, broken places. I've read through it a number of times. I have an audio copy that I'll listen to from time to time. Um, and there's a handful of books that I, I will reoccurringly read through, and some of them I've moved to audio copies so I can listen to it while I'm out walking or doing a number of things while I'm driving. But the things that I want to cover this morning with you when it comes to what forgiveness is and what it is not really is rooted back into that book, Total Forgiveness. And uh, really is such a powerful book because he takes a lot of biblical truth and then he helps put it into application in our lives and how we can move forward to it. My wife and I first heard R.T. Kendall speak a number of years ago. We were at a ministerial conference and hadn't even heard of him or maybe had heard the name and didn't know much about him. And he spoke on this topic uh, and it just kind of caused us to find the book and to continue to read it and to recommend it. Um, but I really believe that when it comes to a clean slate, a fresh start in our lives and the work that God desires to do in our lives, a lot of it comes back to understanding not only God's forgiveness in our life, and we, we looked at that a little bit last week, but understanding what does forgiveness look like fleshed out in our own lives. And part of understanding what that looks like in our own lives when it comes to relationships and, and things that have happened within us, part of understanding what forgiveness is, is recognizing what it is not. Now, I would imagine that most here this morning have a story that they could tell You have a story of someone who has wronged you or hurt you in a very deep way. I would imagine most here have a story of betrayal of some level or another. It could be a spouse, a husband, or a wife who was unfaithful. It could be a parent who was abusive or who walked away and cut off relationship. It could be a close friend, a neighbor, someone who betrayed you deeply and who has harmed you personally. It could be someone who has legally wronged you and, and they have um, taken something from you, something that nothing ever can replace. No legal consequence can really ever replace it or solve it. And really the list of offenders and offenses this morning could be endless. As many as people are listening here this morning or listening on podcasts, the, the list could be endless of the offenses and the offenders. And there very well may be those this morning who, as you hear me begin to talk about this topic and you hear me begin to talk about some of the offenders and the people who have wronged us in life and the story that you have to tell, that I would imagine for some here this morning, just hearing me talk about that, that there's emotions that begin to stir within you and that the hurt begins to sting. And you may even have reached a point where you've told yourself, even as recent as this morning, as you're sitting there thinking of the message that I'm sharing, that you could be sitting there and you've, you've reached a place where you convince yourself and tell yourself that you can never forgive them for what they've done to you. That you tell yourself the wound is too deep, the hurt is too hard, and it's too hard to forgive But what I would encourage you to look to understand and consider this morning, friends, when you're here and we think about forgiveness and what forgiveness means and the freedom that forgiveness brings, is to encourage you to consider that total forgiveness is the only way to ever find freedom and release from the wrong that's been done to you. 
And friends, that goes for individuals who have acknowledged their wrong and have acknowledged it with no way of making it right, as well as forgiving those who have hurt you directly with no indication that they're remorseful, no indication that they even acknowledge that a wrong has been done. That in both cases and in any others, the true pathway to freedom, the true pathway to, to life within for you is to find a place and reach a place of total forgiveness. And one of the, the primary reasons that I encourage you and really implore you to, to move in forgiveness this morning and to find the freedom and the release that forgiveness brings regarding a wrong that nothing else can is found in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. If you would look there with me this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. It'll be on screen for those who don't have your Bible with us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And so Paul is writing to believers in Ephesus, real people, real time, real lives, much like, like yourselves, a different uh, slot in time, but the circumstances and the culture they lived in would make them very much similar to you and your life and circumstances today. And he says this, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Verse 30, one more time, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Uh, one translation that I'll, I'll pull out and I'll read from time to time is the Passion Translation. And it really is a more a very modern uh, language of, of reading. And it just sometimes will help put to look at a, a verse that you've become familiar with, with reading. And it'll help you look at um, a passage in a very different light and think about it in a different way. And there's a number of different translations that I'll use. But the Passion Translation says, verse 30 this way, it says, Never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. And so the primary reason from the passage that I've just read, the primary reason that total forgiveness brings freedom and release in a, from a wrong that's been done to you, that it brings freedom in a way that nothing else can, the primary reason is that it keeps our relationship with the Holy Spirit current. That it's not a matter of, of deciding if the, the wrong was reached a point where you can forgive it. or I think it's a, the reason that forgiveness is so important is that it keeps your relationship with the Holy Spirit current. What the Bible tells us, and we'll look at this a little bit more later on, is in Hebrews, it tells us that, that bitterness, which is the fruit of unforgiveness, bitterness in Hebrews 12, 15 says bitterness restricts the grace of God. It restricts the freedom of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I really believe that forgiveness really cultivates the soil and fertilizes the soil of our hearts so that bitterness can take root. And so when we choose to move in forgiveness towards those who have wronged us and those who have hurt us, when we choose to move in forgiveness, it keeps our hearts open and current in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Physicians and other experts have conducted a number of studies and they have found verifiable results that show the negative effects of unforgiveness and bitterness in the, in the physical body and in the mind of individuals. But the number one result, the number one benefit from moving in forgiveness is not because it alleviates some of the physical effects that happen in your body and in your mind. The number one benefit from moving in forgiveness is the openness that it brings in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Letting him work in freedom and work in life. 
know, over the years of ministry and talking with individuals, uh, both as a lead pastor or as an associate pastor, a youth pastor, I've had different times and different conversations with individuals who, who most often have, have very good intentions. And when they talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, specifically this verse, talking about grieving the Holy Spirit, many times with good intentions, they'll talk about grieving the Holy Spirit and they'll be concerned about a certain way we do things in service or a certain order that will flow or follow through. And their, their concern is that it could grieve the Holy Spirit, that it could make him sad, that it could bring him sorrow by how we might do something in service. And what I would remind them and I would remind you this morning is God is far less concerned with the order of service that we would hold to and far more concerned with the order of our hearts that we allow to, to exist. That it's a matter of what we allow to exist in our hearts that has potential to grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting is in Ephesians 4, the passage we've looked at, that it, the, it heads the list, heading the list of the things that grieve the Spirit of God within our lives that, that could really cause us to take Him for granted that heading the list is bitterness, that bitterness restricts the Holy Spirit from working. And so when, when we choose to move in genuine forgiveness towards those who have wronged us and move in genuine forgiveness towards those who have hurt us, those who have betrayed us, when we choose to move in forgiveness, not only does it keep our relationship with the Holy Spirit current, but it helps remind us that true forgiveness has everything to do with the supernatural potential that it carries. The true forgiveness is not merely just uttering the words, I'm sorry, so that you can move on from a situation. True forgiveness involves recognizing the supernatural potential that forgiveness carries. We've already looked at Ephesians 4, but I'd like to point out one other passage to you that I think helps us see this. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 10. The Apostle Paul, in dealing with another group of real people, real time, real believers in a church, not, some, not all that different than ours, perhaps a building not as big, more of a house church, but talking with individuals and dealing with uh, addressing an individual who had wronged the congregation, wronged individuals, and had put, been put aside. Um, he says this, verse 10, he says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. What he says is, he says we recognize that when we allow unforgiveness to remain in our hearts and to remain in a situation, to remain towards an individual, is that we give room for the devil to outwit us in our relationships with others, and we give room for the devil to outwit us within our own relationship with God. And the reason it gives him room to outwit us when we allow unforgiveness to remain is because going back to what I said earlier, unforgiveness grieves the Holy Spirit. The enemy knows that left long enough, bitterness will grow. Bitterness restricts the grace of God. It restricts the work of the Holy Spirit, and it restricts him from moving freely. In fact, I really believe that, that bitterness and consistent unforgiveness existing in an individual's life is a sign of the absence of the Holy Spirit in their life that it pushes him away. It does not allow him to be present. So if you want to, to continue to grow in the anointing of God upon your life and the anointing of God upon, your, upon uh, everything that, that you're really your life is about, then continue to walk in forgiveness, continue to walk in grace, continue to reach that place where you're able to forgive and release. And that really comes back to whether it be an offense that was done directly towards you or dealing with uh, an offense that the enemy tries to get you to pick up that is someone else's baggage. 
That it's recognizing the enemy is always working to get us to move in unforgiveness. One of the things that R.T. Kendall says in his book regarding unforgiveness is he says this. He says, the person who gains the most from, from forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. The one who gains the most from forgiveness is the one who does the forgiving because there's, a, there's a, a freedom that takes place in their heart and in their life and in their mind. Now, I realize that the matters that are represented this morning, both in this room, uh, as well as those who may listen to this later, that the, the, the issues could, the matters that are represented could be ranged far and wide. And I am sure that there are some who may be listening or those who are here this morning that as you hear it, that you're dealing with a matter that could even involve uh, crimes that have been done against you. And that not only is the person who has wronged you need to offer forgiveness, but it may be walking a legal journey through the situation, even though you're continuing to extend forgiveness to them, it doesn't negate the crime that's been done. But I think for most here, it's most often not the, the big heinous crime that has been done that brings legal consequence that we are tempted to move, walk in unforgiveness towards. I think most often for many here, it's the small offenses that occur in daily life. It's the small things that happen as we go about life, the, as, we, as we go through life, that there's a temptation to harbor offense or to harbor a grudge uh, or to even dream of ways of revenge or dream of ways of getting even or dream of ways of seeing the other punished. And so I would assume for most here this morning to try to spend the remaining amount of our time convincing you of the importance of moving in forgiveness. And I would assume for most here that that's probably not something that I need to do that it's not a matter of trying to convince you of the need to move in forgiveness, that I really feel like our time could be best served by taking time to just look at what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not and letting the Holy Spirit use that to bring freedom uh, into our lives. Now, in the book, Total Forgiveness, and I'm going to invite the ushers if they could help me uh, with the handouts that you have. I think the ushers are going to come and they're going to hand each person um, just a, a handout that we have available for you this morning. And I just want to walk through this handout um, as part of this morning, their time together. And this is out of the book, Total Forgiveness. And it takes time. He gives a list of several things and he goes into these in greater detail. But he gives a list of several things, of 10 things of what forgiveness is not and 10 things of what forgiveness is and so as each one would take this, I, I would keep it out in front of you. Don't just tuck it in your Bible. And then I want to talk through it a little bit this morning, um, expand a little bit on some of these. Some of them are, are very um, self-explaining, but just to explain them and take time to look at them. Because if you're like me, many times I can get a, a flyer, get a handout. I'll read it briefly, then I'll tuck it in my Bible, tuck it in my book, tuck it in a notebook. And it, many times it can get buried and can get lost there. So just to take some time to walk through this this morning. So if you get missed, be sure to raise your hand so that we can make sure everybody gets a copy uh, this morning. And we'll have the extras available at the Welcome Center if you'd like to grab a copy to bring uh, to someone as well. And if you'd start with me this morning on the side of what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. First, total forgiveness is not approving of what another person did. So what we have to remember is that God never approves of our sin. One of the best things to keep when we talk about what forgiveness and what it is not is to look at it in context of God's forgiveness towards us. In fact, that's a reference that, that Jesus tells us is that 
as we acknowledge the forgiveness God has extended to us, then we need to then in turn move in forgiveness towards others. But we do need to understand that when it comes to the forgiveness that God extends to us, that God never approves of our sin. In fact, what the Bible tells us is that God hates sin. So in understanding what forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not approving of what another person did. In John 8, when Jesus um, has the woman who's been caught in adultery and she is brought before him and she's placed before him, he comes and he addresses the situation around her, but then he never once approves of her sin. In fact, he tells her to go and to leave her life of sin. And so just as God forgives our sin without approving it, we also must learn to move in forgiveness towards others by recognizing that our forgiveness does not in any way imply an endorsement of their wrong behavior of their, of, or of their evil deeds. So first, total forgiveness is not approving of what a person did. Secondly, total forgiveness is not excusing what another person did. Total forgiveness is not offering an excuse for what others did. We don't cover over the sins of other people. We don't necessarily cover over the wrongs of other people. That's not what forgiveness is. When you look in, in the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets are a perfect example of this, that when they go before God on behalf of the people and on behalf of the sin and the wrong that they've done against God, both Moses and the, old, and the prophets in the Old Testament, never once do they try to find a way to excuse what the nation of Israel did. They don't offer excuses for it. And that, rather, what they did was they interceded to God uh, not excusing the behavior of the people, but rather appealing to God's nature. So true forgiveness does not excuse what a person did. Number three, total forgiveness is not justifying what a person did. When we talk about justifying something, and I think this says it right on your handout, justifying something means that we are making it right or making it just. When we take it back to the context of understanding God's forgiveness and grace towards us, God never once justifies our evil, our, our evil actions. Rather, he extends grace to us so that we become just as if we've never sinned, but he's never justifying our evil actions or our sin that we've engaged in. And because God never, will never call evil just or right, he never expects us to call uh, wrong to call it just or right as well. Number four, total forgiveness is not pardoning what another person has done. See, a pardon is a legal transaction that is really releases an offender from the consequences of their action. A pardon is, in a sense, letting them off of the hook of both the, penal, of the, the penalty and of, of the action. But there is a price to pay for sin. And we have to remember that, that there was a great price that God was willing to pay for our sin. And that was the offering of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so that specifically, this point specifically applies to situations where there are legal consequences um, that apply to the situation to, that an individual's walking through. I've talked with individuals who are walking through legal issues and just over the years, individuals who have um, faced a number of things and they've said, if I truly forgive this person, then do I need to let them off of the hook of the legal consequences? And what I'll remind them of is that I think a rapist would be a perfect example, that the rapist needs to pay for, to their debt for society and society needs to be protected from them. That is the consequence of their choice. However, the person who was affected by their actions still needs to learn to move and forgiveness or else they become a prisoner in their own heart to the unforgiveness and the bitterness that can, be, that can be brewed there. And so it's a reminder that total forgiveness is not pardoning what a person did. Number five, 
Total forgiveness is not reconciliation. And I think this is where most often we can get it crisscrossed in understanding what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. But total forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Reconciliation implies a restoration of relationship, that an injured person is realizing an injured person can forgive their offender without ever reconciling with them. Forgiveness involves one person releasing the offense. Reconciliation involves two people being willing to work towards relationship, that it doesn't always happen. I think a good example would be that it is okay when it comes to understanding what forgiveness is and is not and, what, and, and how it's not necessarily reconciliation, that it's okay if you don't want to spend vacation with them. It, but it does mean that when they go on vacation, you want them to enjoy it just somewhere else. <laughs> These are two very different things. And so it's understanding that forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Number six. Total forgiveness is not denying what the person did. Really believe that denying, when we begin to deny what someone did, it many times it's more at the, at the unconscious level that we're kind of convincing ourselves that it never happened. But true forgiveness is only found when, and is really only offered when we come to terms with the reality of what has happened and we still choose to offer forgiveness. So total forgiveness is not denying what the person did. Number seven, total forgiveness is not blind to what has happened. Total forgiveness is not blind to what has happened. Willful blindness is a conscious choice to pretend that nothing ever happened. It's to pretend like nothing ever took place. But true forgiveness of a wrong does not pretend that a wrong isn't there. In other words, we don't close our eyes to those who did the wrong and will continue to harm others. Back to the believers in Corinth, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. He talks about an individual, and many think this is the individual that he was referencing that we've already read about, where he says, offer forgiveness so that the enemy doesn't out, outsmart you. Many think it's this individual, but Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 identifies a man who has been involved in an immoral relationship and is, is really affecting the church. And he tells them, he said, put this man out of your congregation. Put this man out of your gathering. In other words, he didn't close his eyes to what had happened. He, in other words, he identified the issue so that it wouldn't continue to take place. However, to the same believers in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul, in talking about love, he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, he didn't say love is blind to the wrongs. He says that love keeps no record of wrongs. It chooses not to keep a record. And we'll talk about that more when we look at a list of what forgiveness is. But it's not a matter, forgiveness is not a matter of being blind to what happened or pretending that it never did. Number eight, total forgiveness is not forgiving. We have to remember that when we move in forgiveness, we're aligning ourselves with the nature of God. The nature of God is really, the Bible talks about God being a God of love, a God who's just, a God who's faithful. And when we think about God being a God of love and his love, he offered his son, Jesus Christ, to extend forgiveness towards us. Love does not erase our memories. 
So when we, when we think that forgiveness is a matter of forgetting, that is not accurate nor consistent with what scriptures teach us as, a, as really as a follower of Jesus Christ and what our mindset is to be. See, love does not erase our memories. It's really a demonstration of greater grace when we are fully aware of what has occurred and we still choose to forgive. Sometimes I'll hear individuals will talk about God and they'll talk about how he moves towards our sins and they, said that, they say he, God forgets our sins. But the Bible doesn't say that God forgets our sins. The Bible doesn't tell us anywhere that God forgets our sins. What it tells us is that God chooses not to remember our sins or hold them against us. See, forgetting and choosing not to remember are two very different things. Both in Hebrews, 12, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, and 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says that he chooses not to count our sins against us. He chooses not to remember. So although we will never fully be able to forget what has happened, we can still choose not to remember. And we'll look at that in greater detail when we talk about what forgiveness is in just a second. Number nine, total forgiveness is not re- is not refusing to take the wrong seriously. Total forgiveness does not involve taking the wrong seriously. We cannot, as we've already said, we cannot truly forgive unless we clearly see the offense that we are choosing to forgive and understanding the seriousness of it. Some mistakenly will think that in order to forgive, they must dismiss the wrong as, as uh, something that was insignificant or something that was in, inconsequential. But that's not how God dealt in forgiveness. God takes sin very serious. He takes sin so serious, as I've already referenced, that he chose in his grace and his love and in his mercy to offer his son Jesus Christ to die a horrific death on the cross to show just how serious he took the issue of sin. So forgiveness is not refusing to take a wrong seriously. I really believe the greater victory is for the one who does the forgiving is to face up to the seriousness or the wickedness of what has happened and still choose to forgive. That that truly is a recognition of the seriousness of what has taken place and the forgiveness and love and grace of God in our hearts. And then number 10, when it comes to what forgiveness is not, total forgiveness is not pretending we are not hurt. Jesus was obviously hurt when the soldiers came and struck him in the face. Jesus was hurt when, the, nail, when the, the crown of thorns was forced into his brow. Jesus was hurt when he was given the lashes by the Roman soldiers with the whip. He was hurt when they put the garment upon him and then later ripped it off, reopening the wounds that had begun to clot with the material. Jesus was hurt when he was stretched out on the cross and the nails were driven into his hands. So Jesus did not deny any of those hurts, but yet as he hung on the cross, he looked at those who had nailed him to the cross and all of those whose sin had put him there, including you and me. And Jesus was able to utter the words. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness does not pretend that we're not hurt. It's really ridiculous to, to think that we should not be injured by a wrong that happens or, betrays a, to, or a betrayal from a loved one. But those are real things that cause real hurt. And so if we think that forgiveness is to pretend or act in some way that we aren't hurt, that it would be, well, the same picture would be as if I had a major injury or a major wound this morning, then I was bleeding out in a matter of minutes from perhaps even death, 
and I was pretending like nothing was wrong or at the most I needed a small band-aid to take care of it. But forgiveness is not a matter of refusing or of pretending that we're not hurt. It's recognizing the hurt or recognizing the wound is really the first step towards finding true healing. And there are many others, and I would encourage you to look in, in the book that I've referenced to understand more about what forgiveness is not. But I love the end, just watching our time this morning, I love the end by giving you a few things to consider when it comes to what forgiveness is. So what forgiveness is. Number one, forgiveness is being aware of what someone has done and still choosing to forgive them. Forgiveness is being aware of what someone has done and still choosing to forgive them. See, total forgiveness is, is only achieved when we acknowledge what was done without any denial or without any cover-up and still refuse to make the offender pay for his crime. That that's true forgiveness. That is, it's not a matter of denial of what's taken place. Rather, it's, it's being fully aware of what has happened and still choosing to forgive as I mentioned, it's refusing to make them pay, make the offender pay for their crime. And many times, it's, and I'm not talking so much on the legal standpoint, we've already covered that. But many times we make individuals pay by verbally uh, or with their reputation or anything else that would demand that they be exposed. But really, true forgiveness is choosing to let them off the hook. It's choosing to, as, as R.T. Kendall says in his book, it's where we kiss revenge goodbye it doesn't negate the legal consequences or the penalties that come with a crime, but really as we looked at with Joseph last week, it takes us out of the equation of being the one who brings the penalty. It's a true release of, of realizing that they may get away with what they've done and you're still okay in your heart with moving in forgiveness towards them. Secondly, true forgiveness involves choosing to keep no record of wrongs. In 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5, a passage we've already looked at this morning, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, it does not keep a running list. So forgiveness does not keep a record of wrongs. So when we choose to cultivate and develop a heart and a lifestyle of total forgiveness, we learn to erase the wrong rather than file it away mentally. That would include the running playlist that we let our minds run wild on when someone will do something that reminds you of the wrong that's been done. I really believe that just on this one point alone, many marriages who even are listening this morning, that many marriages could receive overnight transformation if just this one truth was applied. Not letting the running list go, but rather moving in genuine total forgiveness towards your spouse regarding an issue. I've sat and talked with, with couples over the years, and I remember one couple specifically who had, uh, had an, uh, there was an affair that had taken place in the relationship and, and even out of the affair that there was a child that was produced and God had just the grace that had visited that relationship and the forgiveness they were willing to move in and while it was still just a few years old that my wife and I would sit and we marveled at, at just the grace and the love that God had extended to this couple. Yet on the other hand, we had another couple we'd been talking with that, that had gone through the a same very similar situation. There was no child in the mix, but that one of them had been unfaithful. And the time that had lapsed between when the offense had occurred was about twice as long as the previous couple we'd been talking with. And while the one couple, the, the occurrence was still relatively fresh, there was grace and forgiveness and understanding and healing. Whereas in the other one, in, in 10, 12 years past, it was just as if it had just happened the night before. 
And it's because it's this reminder, this understanding of, of love chooses to keep no record of wrongs. The true healing will only be found when you move in forgiveness towards an individual and the Holy Spirit has freedom to then really to, has the invitation to come and to begin to work the healing within your heart that needs to take place. That it begins to peel away the layers of, of, of the wound that the enemy has used and the unforgiveness that has continued to just erode away like sandpaper on a rough, on a, on a wound to just continue to rub it in. That true forgiveness begins to bring the balm that brings healing. It's a releasing and choosing not to keep record of wrongs. Number three, true forgiveness involves refusing to punish. Forgiveness, sur forgiveness surrenders the desire to see the individual get what's coming to them. See, our human nature cannot stand to see someone get away with doing something wrong, specifically if it's been done towards us. Our desire is to see them punished. Our desire is to be both vindicated and justified. Our desire is to see the matter uh, addressed. And when we allow that desire to prevail in our hearts, that feeling moves our hearts away from the perfect love that God desires to shape us through and to transform our lives through. I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bible uh, to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. says, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And when we look at this, we talk about forgiveness continues to align our hearts with the loving nature of who God is. And this passage tells us that when it comes to fear, it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And many times when we, we read this, we can think about a totally different context, but to take this an understanding of, under, of looking at forgiveness and talking about forgiveness, and it says that perfect love drives out fear, that most often when it comes to forgiveness, and one of the, the greatest obstacles individuals have to moving in forgiveness is that there's this fear that God won't step in and deal with the matter the way we think he should. That there's a fear that God won't give them what's coming to them. And if we choose to step in and exact judgment or punishment on the individual, we really trespass into God's territory. That's why he says that judgment has, has nothing to do with that perfect love drives out fear. The fear of individuals getting off the hook or getting by with what they've done. But rather, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. See, when the Bible makes it very clear when it comes to understanding who God is, that vindication is what God does best. And the second thing that the Bible tells us is not only does vindic is vindication what God does best, it also tells us that God doesn't want our help in that issue. That it's a matter of leaving things in his hands to handle and to deal with as he sees fit. We've already looked at the impact of bitterness and unforgiveness in regards to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. But if we, desire, if we harbor the desire to see the individuals punished, to see our enemies get what's coming to them, then I really believe that we compromise the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives. But when we move in perfect love, we allow the fruit of the Spirit to be cultivated in our lives. We allow the nature of Jesus to be developed within us. And it's this releasing of our desire to see our enemies punished. Number four, forgiveness involves not telling what they did. Forgiveness involves not retelling the story. 
See, true forgiveness is marked not by a not gossiping about the offender. This is a step that really is taken by the one person who is wronged, who moves in forgiveness towards the offender. It's a step that they take to protect the reputation of the one who wronged them. Think about that. To quit telling the story and protect the reputation of the one who wronged them. It's a refusal to divulge what others did. It's the heart to make others, really at the heart of it, it's, it's making others think less about them. It's making the offenders still pay for the matter, pay with the reputation, pay with the things that you say. But it's choosing to not continue to re- retell the story. Really to put it in context of how much God demonstrates his love and his forgiveness towards us, that he doesn't take your secret sins that he has said he's forgiven, that he knows about, he doesn't take them and then broadcast them to everyone else. Rather, it says that he chooses to not count them against you. So when we, when we choose to forgive someone, we're choosing to not keep telling the story. Now, I realize that for some, regarding the offense, regarding the wrong, regarding the hurt that's taken place, that there is a place for having someone that you can talk with. There's a, there, there's a therapeutic nature to being able to expose and to talk with someone and finding the right person to talk to. And I really believe that if their, their, their heart is right and the motive is right, that it's a willingness to find someone if you need someone to talk to about it. It's finding someone who will not come in and sympathize with you and, and, really, and really kind of um, stroke your back on, on, on the wounds that have happened and try to really justify you in it. But rather, it's finding someone who's willing to listen, who's willing to be confidential with it, and then they're willing to confront you where you're wrong on your perspective, on your action, or on your view of it. So the heart of the gospel is really related to coming to a place where we recognize that God does not count our sins against us. And so when we choose to let the story go, we're choosing to acknowledge that we're not counting the offense against us from the other individual. Number five, forgiveness involves being merciful. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse seven, he says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. The Bible makes it very clear when it comes to who God is and it it declares that God is, is merciful and it declares that God is just. When it comes to being merciful, Jesus commanded that we are to move in mercy just as God moves in mercy towards us. And so true forgiveness involves being merciful. And number six, true forgiveness involves graciousness. True forgiveness shows grace and mercy at the same time. I really believe when it comes to true forgiveness, it's a, uh, understanding graciousness when it comes to true forgiveness. That true forgiveness and the graciousness that comes is a willingness to withhold certain facts you know to be true so as to leave your enemy's reputation unharmed. It goes back to not continuing to retell the story. When it comes to graciousness in, in the New Testament and some of the ways that it's translated, the, the words that are used, one is forbearance, another is, is tolerance. And the idea behind the word, the original word that was used, was, was a yielding uh, and, and a surrendering of your right to make a rigorous stand against an opponent, even when you knew that you were clearly in the right. That it was a, a willingness to, to yield a willingness to, to be gracious and to, to protect the other and not to take the stand. In Philippians 4, 5, talking about, we've looked at Philippians in, in the recent uh, weeks. Gentleness is, the word, gentle, uh, the word graciousness is translated gentleness. It's recognizing that true forgiveness moves in both gentleness and graciousness. 
I really believe that graciousness is most often shown not in what you do say, but it's shown in what you don't. It's shown in what you don't say and how you extend the forgiveness and grace towards others. Number seven, true forgiveness is an inner condition. In Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus is talking about the matters of the heart and some of the religious people around him had come and began to challenge him on a number of things, Jesus said this in kind of a, a very big paraphrase to what he says, but to summarize what Jesus says, Jesus says the, the, that the mouth is the overflow valve for your heart. He says, whatever's happening in your heart, eventually your mouth is going to catch up with. He says, whatever's happening in your heart is eventually going to spill out of your mouth. And so for true forgiveness to be in effect, it begins in the heart. That if you want your actions and your language to reflect forgiveness, then it must begin in the heart. A good test, a good litmus test to put to your life regarding a matter, regarding forgiveness, regarding moving in forgiveness. You may have told yourself you've forgiven an individual. You may have convinced yourself inwardly that you've forgiven the individual. But take time to look and monitor what's coming out of your mouth. Is it retelling the story? Is it moving in a lack of graciousness? Is it have hints of bitterness? Is it, is it um, just continuing to not reflect the forgiveness that you believe has taken place in your heart? Jesus said that, true for, that, that the heart spills over through the mouth. And so if what's coming out of the mouth does not reflect forgiveness, then perhaps it's not forgiveness has taken place in the heart. But it's, it takes place, true forgiveness begins by taking place in the heart. And that's why... Uh, reconciliation does not necessarily have to be an essential step in forgiveness. That if forgiveness truly has taken place in the heart, then it does not need to know if the other is sorry for the matter. It does not need to know if the other wants to reconcile or not. It's simply a matter for being, it doesn't need to know if the other is remorseful or not. It's a matter of in your heart choosing to release the offender for what they've done. Number eight, True forgiveness is the absence of bitterness. Uh, we looked at this earlier, but uh, forgiveness, uh, when forgiveness is gone, uh, rather when, when, when bitterness is gone and true forgiveness prevails in a heart, there is no desire to punish the offender. There is no desire to see the other get what's coming to them. It's a relinquishing of bitterness and it's an open invitation for the Holy Spirit to do his work within you and in the situation that you may face. The number nine, True forgiveness involves forgiving God. True forgiveness involves forgiving God. And we may not always see this at first. And I've, over the years, I've had individuals talk about the need to forgive God and things. And I've heard divided sides on that. I've heard people say, well, I need to forgive God because of this or that. And others say, well, you don't have to forgive God. He's, he's holy and perfect and just, and he doesn't wrong you. So you don't need to forgive him. But when I talk about forgiving God, it's talking about coming to a place where you realize in your own heart, you have to choose to, to acknowledge that God is always good and God is always faithful in spite of what you may be going through. Sometimes we can walk through great pain and great difficulty and great challenge in life and we can look at the evil that's produced in this world and the effect of evil upon our lives and we can look back at God and say, God, if you're truly all-powerful and if you truly care about me, then you would have in some way, in some place, would have stepped in and stopped this wrong or this offense from ever happening. That's where I'm talking about that ability and willingness to forgive God. I was just talking uh, yesterday with the friend and I was sharing with him something that um, had stood out to me recently in my own just devotional life. And I was, I was reading uh, in a couple of different places. I've been reading in Lamentations, one of the passages I have marked there that I'll come back to from time to time. And in Lamentations 3, a passage that 
I think many probably have heard before. He says this. It's Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. And then you won't have a slide for this, so um, if you just bear with me. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. He says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And he says, this, verse 21, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And so he points to, he says, I call to mind the faithfulness of God. I call to mind that his mercy is new every morning. I call to God that he is with me. He's constantly with me, and there's never a place or a time or a moment that I won't be without him. But he says, I have to call this to mind. In other words, he says, I have to remind myself of this. Uh, David in the Psalms would do this, and he would, say, he, would, he would say, why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. It's kind of like this, this personal uh, kick in the seat of your pants and of getting your heart to say, God, focus on the goodness of who he is. Focus on what he's done. Focus on how he's faithful. But he says in verse 21, he says, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The reason he has to call that to mind is if you look back in the very first part, the, the first uh, 20 verses of Lamentations, Jeremiah the prophet is writing out an account of all the ways he thinks God's wronged him. He says, God, you've made me walk in darkness when I should be walking in light. He said, God, you've walled me in and you've made me feel like I'm closed off. He says, God, you've made it feel like my prayers are unanswered, my prayers come empty, and your ears are closed to my prayers. He says, God, you make it feel like you have blocked every single step that I try to take. He says, God, you make it feel like, I, like, like I'm someone who has been mauled by a bear and drugged to the side of the path and left to die. He says, God, that's how it feels like you've handled my life. You've mauled me. You've broken me. You've shut me out. You've not answered me. You've not called. Come, come to my rescue. You've not stepped in. He says, God, it feels like you've filled my life with bitterness. You've filled my life with pain. You've filled my life with hurt. Even goes on to say, God, it feels like you've kicked my teeth in. But he says, God, in all of this, when I feel like my life has been wronged by you and I feel like you've not done my life right and you've not handled my circumstances the way that I think that you should, then he says this, but then I stop myself and then I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Regardless of what I feel about how God has handled me, regardless of how I feel God may have handled my circumstances, regardless of how I feel that God may or may not have stepped in the way that I think he should have, he says this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And the enemy wants to get you to get to a place where you hold for unforgiveness against God, against the matters in your life, and the things that have happened to you, because he knows that if unforgiveness cuts off the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, he knows that if you can hold on to unforgiveness towards God, in spite of God not having wronged you, he knows that you cut, you cut yourself off from the one who gives you the hope you need. He knows that he, you cut yourself off from the one who gives you the answer you need. He knows that you cut yourself off from the one who promises to be your portion every single morning, of every single day, of every single hardship, of every single difficulty. He will be the grace that you need, but it comes to lifting your eyes to him. That is why it's so crucial to remember that forgiveness involves us releasing our perspective and our view that God in some way has wronged us. 
That whenever we are tempted to think that in some way God has excused sin, or he's excused wrong, or he's allowed evil to, to permeate your life and he should have stepped in, we have to remember that God sent his son into the world to ex- not to explain evil, but rather to save us from it. God didn't come into the world to, to in some way take himself off the hook for the suffering and the pain and the difficulty you've been in. And rather, he came to put himself on the hook for it, to put himself on the cross for it, so that you could experience the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God that he extends freely to all who come to him. And friends, the last thing, and then the worship team can come, and this isn't on your list, but I think it can best be summarized for all of these others, is that forgiveness also involves forgiving ourselves. That there may be many here this morning or listening that you've discovered there is no lasting joy in your life. You can walk through the steps of what forgiveness is. You can seek counseling. You can do any number of things. But at some point, you have to reach a place where you choose to move in forgiveness towards yourself. Forgiving yourself of what's happened to you. Forgiving yourself of whatever choices may have brought you to that place. Forgiving yourself of things that in some way you've taken ownership of the things that have happened towards you. It's realizing that God in his grace forgives us. He sees value in you. He sees purpose in you. Like when he looks at you, the value he's placed on you is the price of his son. And he wants you to see the grace and the love and the mercy that he extends towards you as well. Friends, for each of us this morning, love is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling, but it's an act of the will. It's a choosing to do right by God's way, regardless of how you may feel inside. It's choosing to act right, even when you don't feel right. And as we begin to make the right choices, I really believe many times we begin to put our hearts in a place to receive the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy, and then in turn extend the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that God has extended towards us. Won't you stand with me this morning as we prepare to close? I encourage everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. Let's pray. Father, we welcome you to do your work in our hearts right now. We invite you by your spirit to just begin to work within us. Jesus, we recognize that you taught us that our forgiveness before the Father is directly related to the forgiveness that we extend towards others. And Father, right now, we want to be aligned with you. We want to experience the fullness of your grace, of your forgiveness, and of your mercy in us. And so, Lord, I pray that right now, God, for individuals here in this room, in each one of our hearts, in each one of our lives, would you show us, God, places and things that you desire to work in? The truth of who you are that you desire to extend into our lives and into the circumstances and the things that surround us. Friends, this morning with no one looking around, every head bowed, just out of privacy, 
not just privacy, but out of just having a, a personal time of just being shut in with God. Forget who's around you. Forget who you came with. And just recognize this morning it's you and God. And as you're here this morning, friends, I've talked several times throughout the message about the grace and the forgiveness that God extends to all who come. He extends it to all who come. He says that when we confess our sin, he freely forgives. But friends, he's bound himself over to forgiving sins we confess, not what we don't. And so if you're here this morning and you hear me talking about the grace that God extends, the forgiveness that is given, the sacrifice for your sin, and you look at your life and you'd recognize, I have not given Jesus that first place. I've not placed my faith in him. I've not placed my trust in him. But this morning I recognize I need the forgiveness and the grace of God extended to me. I want Jesus to take first place. I want him to take control of my life. Friends, if you're here this morning, the Bible says we come to a place of, repent, of repentance. We recognize our sin. We turn from it and we confess our need for Jesus Christ. And as you do that, the Bible says God extends his grace and his forgiveness and begins to change you from the inside out. But if that's you this morning, could you, no one's looking around. Could you raise your hand just so I could see it? I want to pray for you. Say, I need to make Jesus first. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else would love to join these others in saying, I need to put Jesus first. I need to give him control of my life. For those who've raised your hand, I encourage you, even as you're standing there, begin to talk to God. The most amazing thing about his love and his grace towards you is you can begin to talk to him right where you're standing. You can begin to confess your need and say, Jesus, come and live in me. Come and forgive me. Come and change me. And he'll begin to do that. And then for others this morning, friends, as I've shared and talked about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not, I've talked about the importance of being in right relationship with God's spirit within us. I just would love to open the front as a place to respond. Are there those here this morning who you recognize I need to move in greater measures of forgiveness? I need to give God room to work in my life. I need to allow the Holy Spirit that freedom so I don't grieve him. Perhaps you even want to find a place around the front just to pray and kneel and just allowing God to do the work that only he can do as we open our hearts to him. As the worship team leads, friends, you begin to come and the altars are open for prayer for those who'd like to pray.